Join me in praying real quick. God, we just come before you. And may that be the prayer of our hearts. That God, we need you, not just now, but every moment of the day. May we see our dependence on you. But God, I do just pray that in this moment, you speak to us as we have come and sang our hearts to you. We have come and remembered what you've done. And now, God, we come to hear what you have to say. I just pray that it be your message proclaimed on our hearts that are open to hear what you have to say. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I don't know if like when the last graduation that you ever went to was, but there's this special thing that they do at graduations. And you know, everybody gets their diploma, everybody kind of gets recognized. But there's one moment that a certain person in the class gets to come up before the rest of their class and they get to give a speech to their classmates. And if you've been to a graduation, uh, it seems like they almost all follow along the same line. Congratulations, we did it. For the future is gonna be shoot for the stars and maybe you'll hit the moons. Your wildest dreams will be able to come true. You are the class that is going to make a difference. It seems like the ones that I've been to, those are the routine things that people talk about. And what that opportunity is, is it's that chance for a fellow member of the class to give their farewell speech to their classmates. As everybody's about to go different directions, as everybody's about to kind of enter into the same realm though, leaving high school and entering into adulthood. And they get one last chance to address their classmates. And that's kind of what we're gonna see in the book that we're gonna be looking at this morning, as we are gonna be in Deuteronomy. And that is going to be Moses's farewell speech to the Israelites. He's going to have about one month with the people before they get to enter into the promised land, but he has to stay back. He is unable to enter into the promised land because if you remember in the book of Numbers, they are wandering throughout the wilderness because they've been complaining, they've been rebelling against God. And there's one moment where they are just like, we are here in the wilderness, we are thirsty, we want something to drink. Moses, help us out here. And so God says to Moses, speak to the rock and I will pour forth water from it, which Prior to this, God has already provided water out of the rock for the Israelites. In that time, he told Moses, take your staff and strike the rock. But this time he simply says to Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses is angry with the people. All this complaining and grumbling that they're doing. And so he disobeys God and he strikes the rock. And because of that, God tells Moses, you will not be able to enter the promised land. I will let you go up to the promised land. I will let you look into the promised land, but your foot will not enter the promised land. You will die before you get to enter the promised land. And so Moses in the book of Deuteronomy has this one opportunity to share his final messages with God's people with a new generation that is about to enter the promised land, because you remember the first generation, they were the ones that complained and argued. And so God said, for 40 years, you're gonna have to wander through the wilderness and your punishment is gonna be not a one of you, except for Joshua and Caleb will be able to enter 
into the promised land. An entire generation is going to die. And so that's what we see whenever we get to the book of Deuteronomy. So as usual, if you are a note taker, get your pens ready because we are going to do a quick overview of what this book is. Because again, remember the whole theme of this series is these passages in the Old Testament, God has a message for us in them. They're not for us to breeze over, to skip past, which so many of us are probably guilty of doing, but that all of them are God's story leading up to the cross, and they all point to Jesus. So we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy this morning, and Deuteronomy actually is one of the most important books of the Old Testament. It is quoted over 80 times, quoted or alluded to over 80 times in the entire New Testament. In the 27 New Testament books of the Bible, 21 of them are quoted or quote the book of Deuteronomy. So like the the New Testament writers saw the importance of the book of Deuteronomy. It's so important that Jesus quoted it only whenever he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. When Satan comes to him after Jesus has been 40 days in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and first off he says, if you truly are the son of God, speak to this rock and turn it into bread. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy by saying man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Satan then takes him up to a precipice and says, bow down to me and I will give you everything that is up here. And he says, you are to worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. And then Satan says, go ahead and throw yourself off this cliff and God will send down his angels to save you so that your foot will not strike. And Jesus says, you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. All of those are coming out of the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus saw the importance of it. That again, when he is being tempted by Satan, he is referring to Old Testament, that it is still applicable to the Son of God, to Jesus And so it's important for us to know it. The name, obviously, we've said it a couple times, Deuteronomy. It means the second law, which doesn't mean it's a giving of a new law, like the first law was bad, we're going to give you a second law, but instead a repetition or a repeating, re-giving of the law. Because remember, Moses is talking to an entirely new generation. And so he is needing to remind them what the law of God is. That as you guys are about to enter into the promised land, this is how God expects you to live. This is how God expects you to be run as a nation. And this is how God expects you to enter into worship in relationship with him. So he re-gives the law to them. It's a vast majority of the book of Deuteronomy is him doing that. It is the last book in what is called the Pentateuch, or the law as the uh, New Testament like Pharisees and scribes and even Old Testament Pharisees and scribes would talk about it. Whenever you're reading in your New Testament and it says the law and the prophets talk about, they're talking about these first five books of the Bible. And so really, real quick uh, breakdown of what the Old Testament is broke down as, because for me, I'm a chronological person I like to know things in their order. And if you're chronologically uh, somebody like me, if you are a chronological person, reading the New Testament or the Old Testament kind of gets confusing because it doesn't follow in line chronologically. 
Instead, your Old Testament breakdown is you have the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch, but they are the historical books. The laws of history, or not the laws, but the books of history. Gen- or I'm sorry, not history. I'm jumping ahead myself. They are the law, as we already said. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then you have the historical books. You have Joshua all the way through 2 Chronicles and going into even Esther. Then it breaks down into a category of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophets, which are divided into two categories. You have the major prophets, which is like Isaiah, Jeremiah, I'm thinking of one, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then you have the minor prophets, which is Hosea all the way through Malachi. So that's kind of how your Old Testament is broke down in your Bible. So back to Deuteronomy then. Its author, as we've talked about all the others, is Moses. Like if there's a test, I hope you guys get that one right. I mean, like, I understand maybe you'll miss some others. Paul has a cheat sheet, by the way. He got all the answers to all of these. So if you need something, go find Paul Yeager, and he has the answer sheet. The date, it's 1406 B.C., before that second generation is about to enter the promised land, and it spans only about a month. Numbers covered about 40 years. Deuteronomy, one month. The audience is that second generation, that generation that is about to go into the promised land as Moses is telling them these things as his final, this is how you are to live your life. Now, Leviticus was written to the people of Israel, but it focused on the priests mainly. Deuteronomy is more for the average Israelite, the the layman, not one of the priests. The main content is it can be broke down into three sermons that Moses gives the people of Israel. The first sermon, he's reminding them of their past and what their fathers did in the wandering through the wilderness and the disobedience of their fathers. The second sermon, he is reminding them of the law. Again, that's that vast majority of the book of Deuteronomy. He is telling them, this is how you live, this is how you govern, and this is how you are called to come before God in worship by being clean, by being holy, by being set apart. And then his last sermon, he is warning them He is warning them about you are about to enter into this promised land. And if you are obedient, it will come with a blessing. But if you are disobedient, it will come with a curse. And so as you enter in, learn from your father's mistakes. Be obedient to God and it will go well with you. But if you don't, because one of the key things that Moses tells them is when you come into this land, do not marry the daughters of the nations that you are actually supposed to drive out completely for they will turn you against God and turn you to their gods. And that's exactly what we see happen. They are not obedient. The outline, you have chapter one through chapter four, verse 43. That is that first sermon. The second sermon covers from about chapter 444 all the way to chapter 26, where again, he is reminding them of the law. And then chapter 27 through chapter 34 is the third sermon in which he is telling them, be obedient. 
and actually he's predicting if you don't. And what we see, like whenever you read the prophets, it kind of gets hard, some of the stuff that, excuse me, some of the stuff that you start reading, where it's like God, uh, especially in like Lamentations and Jeremiah, where God is like exiling them and there's parts where it's like they have to eat their own children and you kind of sit back and you're like, how could God do that to them? But if you don't know the context, then that's going to seem a little extreme. But here in Deuteronomy, I think it's actually chapter 28. God tells them, if you are faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. If you are obedient to me, blessings will come upon you. But if you are disobedient, curses are going to come. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to exile you. You will be removed from this land. And if you are still disobedient, then I'm going to do even more to you. And if you are still disobedient, and here we are centuries before the prophets, and God is warning them. He's saying, don't test me in this because I will be true to this. You are called to be my people. And if you will not be my people, then I'm going to discipline you. And that's what we see in those prophets where God has warned them and God has put up with their disobedience for a long amount of time. And finally, he's like, I warned you in Deuteronomy that if you are disobedient, it's gonna pile onto itself until you turn and come back to me. And they refuse to learn. The location of Deuteronomy, it's on the plains of Moab which is you have the Jordan River and it is the eastern side of the Jordan River. The promised land is the western side of the Jordan River. So they are right there about to enter the promised land. The main theme that we see in the book of Deuteronomy is divine requirement for obedience. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, where God says, now Israel, what is it that the Lord your God requires of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. I, one commentary I read said that it is God's love for his people that motivates him to bless his people, and it is our love for God that should motivate us to obey him. That that's what we see here in Deuteronomy, that God's love for his people is commanding them to be obedient, but also there's blessing with it because he loves his people. I mean, it's a really uh, broke down analogy here, but it's like when you as a parent are just so pleased with how well your kid is behaving that you're like, you know what, let's load up, we're going to get ice cream. And your kid's like, whoa, that's wonderful. And it's like, because of how they are, you just want to bless them. That's God towards his people here, that he's like, if you are obedient, if you live according to my word, you will be blessed. But also, it's our love for God that leads us to being obedient. Key words, there's mainly two. You will see it over and over. Remember, especially in the first half of the book. Where God is, or not God, Moses, God through Moses is telling the new generation, remember, don't forget history. We said last week, those who forget history are destined to repeat it. Moses is saying, remember the, the failures of your fathers. Don't follow in their footsteps. 
Remember also the faithfulness of God who brought you out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and now he is faithful. Remember. And then the second one is covenant. Because you will see the words do, keep, or observe repeated over 177 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Keep the covenant. Do the commands of God. Observe the statutes that God is placing before you. And then there's one typography, one prophecy about Jesus, and it is through Moses. Moses himself says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. That's the prophecy in there, that there is going to become a prophet down the road that Jesus fulfills. Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's 4, 3 or 4, tells us that Jesus is better than Moses. That there's going to become a prophet that will be like Moses, but he will be able to do far better than Moses. And that's what we're going to see for the rest of our time. How Jesus is the one. Because whenever you're going through uh, the Old Testament, especially these first five books of the Bible, you kind of see a progression, kind of like the Christian life. So for example, Genesis, you have God creates everything, but then there's this moment in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls this guy named Abraham, Abram at the time. He calls him. What was Abram doing for God at that moment? Nothing. He was doing nothing. He was living with his father who worshiped pagan gods, but God called Abram out of his father's house and he told him, go to a land that I will show you. That God is calling his people out of the pagan lifestyle and into a life for him. So as in Genesis, we see God calling his people. In the Christian life, we see Jesus calling people to follow him. John chapter 6, 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. That Jesus is calling people out of darkness. Ephesians talks about that, specifically chapter two, that he is calling us to be his followers, that he is calling us to step out of the pagan lifestyle and into this new life that God is setting forth for us. So in Genesis, we see God choosing and calling people. And in the Christian life, we see God choosing and calling his followers to follow him, his people out of darkness and into his marvelous light, as Peter tells us. In the book of Exodus, you see the redemption that God does for his people, that they were slaves, and as he called them, now he is also redeeming them from slavery. Israel was redeemed from slavery. We are redeemed from sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Again, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we were dead. 
We were slaves to this world. We were following the course of the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were just being slaves to our body and our mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in love because of his great mercy, he made us alive. He called us and redeemed us and set us free. Leviticus, you see God showing his people how to live. He's giving them the law. He's saying, this is how, as my people, you are to be set apart from the rest of the world. You're about to enter the promised land. They hadn't, but uh, they had not rebelled against God yet. So they were about to enter the promised land. And he says, in a foreign land, this is how you live. As a foreign people, we as believers are not called to live like the rest of the world. We are called to be set apart. We are called to look different from everybody else. God shows us how to do this with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse, 15, 20, verse 25. These things, oh my goodness, I did not write the whole verse. Hold on, I'm going to have to find it. Awkward silence. Stu, you got any good jokes for us right now? That was pretty good. He says, these things I have spoken while I am still with you. But the helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit comes and tells us how to live. It tells us this is how you be set apart. That we're told in Hebrews, Jesus has come and perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That we are continually being set apart. Leviticus sets the law before the people. Jesus sets the law inside the people, sets the Holy Spirit inside people. You see in the book of Numbers, putting to death the old way of life as the old generation had to die. They had to be wiped out so that a new generation could come in. That generation perished, the new one entered, just as they were called out of the wilderness, we too are being called again out of our sinful past and into the newness of life that God has for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old generation, the old self is gone. The new has come. He says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's how we were. But we put that to death. That part of us died because God in his rich mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So we see in numbers being called out of the wilderness into the promised land, just as we as believers are being called out of our past and into this new life that God has for us. And then we get to Deuteronomy, where Moses is instructing this generation, this is how you live in the promised land. 
remember your past. Hold firm to the words of God and to his law and follow them. Live faithfully for him. Moses reminds them of those things, of how they should live. We, as believers, we are called to remember where we came from. Paul, he tells us this in Ephesians 2. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's us, in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who made us both one and broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We are to remember where we came from. That's part of what we do when we come before the table of God and we take part in communion. It's, it's predominantly what Christ did for us, but we have to remember where we were before that, that we were dead, that we were separated from God, that we were without hope and without God in this world. We remember where we were and then we see what Christ did for us. So we are called to remember and then we're called to be instructed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Just as this new generation is called to hold to the law, Jesus tells us that the Spirit will enter into us and he will teach us the law. Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 22, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've died to the old self. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That we are called to walk in this newness of life by being led by the Spirit, by being obedient to the Spirit. And then we're told, hold on to God's way. It's not just, hey, I was baptized, I said I believe in Jesus, and now my life has no change in it at all. As the Spirit leads us, our lives are transformed to the Spirit. Paul tells us in Acts or Ephesians chapter 4, I did not print this one off either. Let me find it. I am great on my notes today. Stu, hit us with a joke. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That Paul's saying, you were dead, you've been made to life now, now walk in accordance to the calling to which you have been called. Live your life according to that manner. Don't continue to live in your old sinful way. You've died to that. You are a new creation. Now live 
like that new creation. As the Israelites are told, remember your past, hold firm to the law of God, and now be obedient to God. We as believers are called to remember who we were and what Christ did. To allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and then to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. To walk in accordance with what the Spirit is laying on our lives. To walk in the fear of God. I've been reading this book, it's called The Awe of God, and it talks about the fear of God. And the author took this chapter to say there's a difference between just loving Jesus and fearing God. Because just loving Jesus doesn't, and it doesn't necessarily change your life, as we are seeing a whole lot of people in America claim right now. Because there was this pastor in the 1980s, and he was a very big-named pastor, and he got caught up in a scandal. And they ended up catching him for it. He was like embezzling and everything. They caught him and sentenced him to 45 years in prison. And John Bevere wrote a book about victory in the wilderness. And while this pastor was in prison, he received that book and he read it. And he said, I want to meet with John. So he calls John and John decides to go. He's real skeptical and everything. He goes and he meets with this pastor. And the pastor says, did you write that or did a ghost write it? And he said, no, I actually wrote it. And he said, that has spoken to me. He said, I thought it was God's judgment to put me here in prison. It's God's mercy. Because had God not let me get caught, I don't know where I would be right now. Because my heart was drifting further and further away from God's truth. And so then John, finally, after they're talking for a little bit, John asked the, the pastor in prison, he says, okay, so when did you stop loving Jesus? Because at the beginning of your ministry, you were sold out for Jesus, and it was obvious. When did you stop loving Jesus? And the pastor looked at him, and he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I love Jesus the whole time. And he said, I think there's a lot of Americans who would claim the same thing. I love Jesus, but I have no fear of God. I love Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus doesn't call anything out of me. The fear of God calls you to live that life for him, to be obedient to his word. Do you actually fear God? Or are you just living a life where you're like, yeah, I love Jesus, and that's all he asks of me. Whereas we're actually told over and over that we are to fear the Lord and live for him, that it comes with the expectation of obedience, that we are called to live a life worthy of the manner to which you have been called. It comes with a life change. And so in Deuteronomy, we see this generation about to enter the promised land, but there's one problem with this. It's their leader. Moses has been able to lead them out of Egypt. Moses has been able to present the law before them. Moses has been able to guide them and direct them. But Moses is not able to enter them into the promised land. That's what so many pastors, so many leaders, so many people in today's world can do. I can lead you up to the promised land. I can tell you what God's word says. I can guide you in it. I can pray for you. I can do so many things. I cannot save you. 
I cannot usher you into the promised land. Nobody can usher you into the promised land aside from Jesus. That's where you see Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy. He is the better Moses because Moses is only able to lead the people up to, but he cannot lead them into. Jesus not only leads us up to, he leads us into our promised land, eternal life. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us there is no other name by which you will be saved. It is only Jesus. You're not going to be able to get to heaven and be like, well, Andy or Stu, you got a pretty cool name, Stu Dog. Uh, you know, Kurt, the elders, Billy Graham, whoever it is, you're not going to be able to say, well, they were able to. It is only going to be Jesus. He is the only one by which you can be saved. He is the only one that can usher you into eternal life. His spirit enters into us and leads us and guides us. He paves the way for us to walk in and he shows us how to live. There is nothing else in this world that will lead us to true life. So often we are like Israel, where it's like, I want to walk with Jesus, but can I have a lot of Egypt with me? Can I still have the sins of my past? Can I still have all those things? It takes Jesus working on your heart. It's only him that will be able to save you. He has blessed us with people to step into our lives and point us to him as Moses and Aaron did. But only Jesus can enter into heaven. In 1 Corinthians, you kind of get a glimpse of this argument that was going on. Because a lot of them are like, well, I follow Apollos. No, 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 no. I follow Paul. No, no, no. I follow Christ. And Paul's like, can Christ be divided? He's like, it's, it's not about Apollos. It's not about Paul. It's not about any past pastor here. It's not about any future pastor here. It is only about Jesus. He is the only one that can save. He's the only one that can enter us into that promised land. He tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through really good behavior. No, it doesn't say that. It says, no man comes to the Father except through me. You must enter through Christ. He is the only one. You see, Moses, he did good things. He, he led the people, he taught the people, but he was unable to enter them in, usher them in. Even he said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. He will be the one that will not enter you into this earthly land. He will enter you into the eternal land. A kingdom that cannot be taken away. A kingdom that will never be destroyed. A kingdom who needs no gate to be closed. The gates can always be open because there will be free entrance and exit because you don't need to be protected from sin and evil men for there will be no sin in that eternal kingdom. That prophet is Jesus. Who alone, as John says in John 1, 29, the, the, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. 
That's not done through anybody else but Jesus. He is the better Moses. And the reason that Jesus can usher us into the promised land is because he fulfills the law. And he is the new covenant. He is the source of the new covenant. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, under that first covenant, there were conditions. We've already talked about them. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, and you are careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the Lord your God. They're conditional. Because in verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I have commanded you today, then these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. That was a conditional covenant. You wanna be in the covenant? It's based on a condition. You be obedient. You be faithful, and then the conditions will come. But Jeremiah chapter 31 tells us about this new covenant. Chapter 31, starting in verse 31, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Remember the first covenant. If you obey, if you disobey, if you uphold the terms of the covenant. Notice the second covenant. I, God speaking, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That first covenant, very dependent on how we behave as people. The new covenant what God does for us. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter five. He says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, before we could uphold any condition of the new covenant, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, not upholding the law, we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The new covenant is unconditional. So much so that Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm not gonna be able to stand up here and be like, y'all, I'm saved because I kept the covenant way better than y'all. No, it's because of Jesus. Remember, there's only one name under heaven by which you can be saved, and that name is Jesus. 
So therefore, when we have received this free gift that God has given us, Ephesians 2, for by grace you are saved, not a result of works, it is the free gift of God. When we receive this gift, we surrender to the Holy Spirit and we allow the Spirit to lead us. So don't get me wrong, there's still obedience to be had. There is still a call to live for Christ, even under the new covenant, but it's not conditional on that. Instead, what we do is we surrender to the Spirit, so much so that Paul already told us, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, for if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so when we receive the new covenant, we still are obedient to God, but it's not on the basis of earning his love. It's on the basis of because he so loved us. As the commentary I read, Tom, Tom Constable, God's love for people motivates him to bless his people, but our love for God should motivate us to obey him. You have been called into a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. So walk in step with the Spirit. Live for Him in everything that you do. Because Jesus ushered us into the promised land. So now we don't live as citizens of this world. We are citizens of that new kingdom. Being led by the Holy Spirit, being taught by the Holy Spirit on how we live as eternal kingdom citizens. Father God, I thank you that you have done it all. God, that you have paved the way. You have sent your son to die for us so that we can find freedom in his blood. God, I just pray that as, as we live our lives, for those who have given their lives over to you, may we see the calling that you have placed on us and may we just live our lives in worship towards you. And God, be being led by the Spirit, be obedient to you. And God, I pray for anybody here who might not be walking in that newness of life. They are still in bondage to their sin. They are still walking as dead people spiritually. That you work in their hearts. That you raise them to life. That you call them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And God, may they just have the courage to respond and surrender everything over to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.